Let's uh, bow our heads and pray in preparation for the message this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray that you be with us this morning. Help us to um, um, help us to find you in in the text of the scriptures this morning. I pray that you would um, speak to us through um, through your word, Lord. Help us to find uh, treasures um, that that would draw us closer to Christ, Lord. Help us to to see Jesus in every element of the scriptures and to see how they point to Him and and um, His His work to save us. Um, I pray that you would help us to. Help me to, to stay out of the way of this of this message this morning. Help me to um, preach in a way that that reflects you. And, and um, Lord God, I pray that your Spirit would would flow freely this morning during the during the hearing of your Word. And I pray the folks who are here would know you more by hearing hearing the Word preached. Um, help them to know Christ. Help them to to belong to Him just more and more every day. In Jesus' name, Amen. I uh, picked a very difficult sermon to start with for uh, the Summer Psalms uh, series, so uh, buckle up. <laughs> Before I, uh, We're going to be doing Psalm 13 this morning, and for the next few weeks uh, through the summer, we're going to be preaching through the Psalms. Um, I, I, uh, one of my goals before I retire is to preach every psalm in the book, and there's like 150 of them. And actually, Psalm 119 might need to be several sermons, so... I, I, we're, we're in process here. Um, and before I dive into that, actually, I wanted to, um, I wanted to talk a bit about, um, maybe the most difficult experience I've had as a dad, um, about, I want to say it's about six years ago now, uh, maybe a little less than that. Um, Abby was sick and I, I had to take her to the emergency room. And so, you know, we're there at the hospital and she is this tiny little thing and, and from just about the moment um, Abby was born, um, she has, like, owned me, right? I mean, she she is, yeah, sitting there, so I'm not going to talk about how much sway she has over my heart. Um, but, but she probably doesn't remember this. We were at the hospital, and they're trying to examine her, and she is not having it because she is in pain already, and the doctor is trying to you know, see what the problem is, and she is screaming and fighting, and, like, just, it was, it was, it was extreme, like, even for Abigail, it was extreme, and she is, like, her hair is soaked in sweat, because she's so upset, and myself and two nurses are holding her, and she is just, and finally, the doctor stopped, and he said, I don't care what's wrong, this is just going to make everything worse now. We need to calm her down. And so he walked away, and I sat with Abby, and she calmed down. And I, I will honestly say, like, I, I can think of a couple of rough days along the way and things I've had to do as a dad that were miserable. Um, but that is way up on the list. And it's one of those things where you don't have a choice. You know what I mean? Where she is hurting, and she's sick, and she needs this intervention, and I cannot not do it. Um, and so I, and I'm, I remember, like, I'm, I'm going to, I'm, like, crying. <laughs> you know, and I'm, I, honestly, like, it was, it was really, I was distraught. But I kept doing what I was doing because it was the thing that had to happen. Um, this has happened a bunch of times over the years, but never quite as extreme as that, where, where, like, I remember once watching Titus climb a jungle gym. 
and he he wasn't quite he's struggling and it looked like he might fall and he started yelling for me to help him and I stood about three feet away behind him where he couldn't see me and I waited and he kept fighting and trying to get his hands up and climb up this thing and he's maybe six feet off the ground he's not going to get really hurt and I'm watching him and there's a part of me that wants to jump out and grab him but what happens if I rescue him every time he has trouble then he doesn't learn to do things himself. And so there's inside of me, I'm standing back and thinking, go, son, go, you know, and like fighting with myself. And, and finally he gets up on top of this jungle gym. He wrestles his way up and he turns around and he says, Dad, did you see me do that? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I think I've used that story before in a sermon. I, it's one of those things that, that had a huge impact on me. And, and honestly, like, for all the stuff that goes into parenting and all the things that, that we end up complaining about and talking about and everything else, standing back and not rescuing is the hardest part, right? Um, standing back and watching them struggle or hurt or be frustrated or work through something or deal with something or whatever it is just the hardest part of being a dad. I say that partially because it's Father's Day and I, I, I want to hook this in because we're in Psalm 13 right now. Psalm 13 is a lament psalm and it is a hard one. It's about six verses long um, and it breaks up into three sections, right? And we're going to work through it just slowly. A little background. The psalms are a specific form of literature and they end up sitting in a very weird place in the scriptures. They are the voice of, of God's people crying out to him inspired by the Holy Spirit. Right? And so like, it is one of the few places in scriptures where you see this just powerful mix of humanity and divinity like presented. And it, it's one of the few places where you're able to sit and see that, that wrestling and that struggling as we, as we approach God. And it is, it is subsequently like a very difficult book to preach, um, which is why I said I wanted to do all of them before I retire. Um, pick the hardest one. Actually, Song of Solomon is probably the hardest sermon series to do. But we're not going to get into that today. Um, <laughs> um, a big chunk of ancient uh, literature as it relates to Israel um, centers around the idea of covenant. A covenant is a contract. As we see it, there are several different types of contracts or covenants in the Old Testament. Um, in the Old Testament world, um, the Jews enjoyed this, like the Old Covenant is what we call it. But it's what's called a Suzerian vassal covenant. And that is the big $5 word for the morning. Right, A vassal is a slave, right? and a suzerian is a powerful leader. And a suzerian vassal covenant exists between two groups where one holds all the power and the other holds none. And the one who is powerless is of very little obligation to maintain their end of the covenant to keep it going. The suzerian, the powerful one, holds all of the responsibility. And when we see God interacting with his people, that's the type of covenant that exists between God and his people. They are his chosen people. He chose them because he loves them, not because they're good. Because honestly, you want to see some bad, read the Old Testament like, like history sections. There is a ton of wicked going on. And in fact, even when God is obvious, right? Like when God frees the people from slavery, Five minutes after they're out of slavery and they've been delivered through the Red Sea and the enemy army has been drowned and, and like God has acted in these huge, amazing, impressive way. The first thing they say is, can we go home? 
can we go back to slavery? Like, I really don't want to be out in this desert. It's hot out here, and I don't see any water, and I'm pretty sure God just brought us out here to kill us. And you can almost see Moses standing back like, what is wrong with you people? <laughs> like, don't you understand? Like, <laughs> didn't you see the last few chapters of this story? What are you doing? Um, and, and God continues to keep his covenant, even though at times he's frustrated, even though at times he's angry, even though at times the people suffer, um, like you get the, the people who aren't in trouble, the people who aren't acting badly, and they suffer with the people who are messing around and being dumb. Right? Anybody ever get that as a kid? Where your parents would like uniformly punish everyone? That's how we're solving tattling in our house. If you tell me that your brother did something, you're both in trouble. Um, and, um, but like the, this is a part of the deal. Like, like suffering is, ends up being a part of the covenant because God is responsible for his end and he, they are his people no matter what. But oftentimes they do the wrong thing. And sometimes it's the more God intervenes and the more God protects and the more obvious God is, the more they rebel. And that's going to play into what we're going to look at here. Okay. So, um, let's just dive into the text. Um, Psalm 13, one, how long Lord will you forget me forever? Um, different translations handle this differently. Um, this is divided into two questions. Uh, sometimes it's one, but, but you can almost hear that. Like how long Lord, where are you? Is this going to keep going? Anybody ever wake up in the morning or go to bed at night and lay there and you can't get to sleep because there's that thing that's hanging out on the peripheral of your vision. Um, I can tell you as a, as a minister, I've been in ministry for 20 years. No, that can't be right. I'm not that old. Um, <laughs> um, I've been in ministry for a little while, and I cannot remember a period where I didn't have this, where I didn't lay in bed and worry about this person and what's going on with them, or how will this turn out? And this, this how long, Lord, or where something is going wrong in my own life or in my family or with my health or with somebody else's health, and you back up and you think, God, where are you? How long is this going to be like this? Why aren't you rescuing me? Um, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Um, these are almost contradictory statements, you'll note, right? If God's forgotten you, he's not hiding his face, right? And then how long will you hide? Like, because the guy doesn't know. All he knows is, God, where are you? And you can almost like, to, to bring back my metaphor here, this is my daughter in the emergency room. Dad, I don't want to do this. Dad, stop. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I just want to not do it. I, you know, I just want to not make this happen. I want to make it right. I want to, but sometimes that's not the right way. Sometimes that's just not the way things are going to be. Um, in reality, God didn't forget. And it may be the case that God is standing back, but it doesn't mean that he is abandoned. Does that make sense? But here is our psalmist asking this question. Where are you, God? Where are you? Why? Please, come on. Um, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? Anybody, let's, I could almost say, does anybody not relate to this? Where you get in your own head and you begin to think, oh, 
what, you know, what if it's this? What if it's that? What if tomorrow brings this thing? What if tomorrow brings that thing? What if the next situation is this? What if, what if, what if? And actually, I, I think a lot of times people will back up and they'll say, maybe this is happening because I blank, right? Or maybe God hates me now because of this. Or maybe, I mean, there are all of these questions. And like, I, I'm sorry, there isn't a deep theological end to this. This is anguish. And in reality, you know, we, we like talking about happy things. We like talking about celebration. We like, as a culture, we don't like pain or misery. And we want to solve everything with a pill. And we want to do this and we want to do that. But in reality, a big chunk of the human experience is hard. And actually, our culture has made an art of making it easy, and it's still hard, right? Um, it's still difficult. Um, and the psalmist asks, like, I, I, I don't know what to do. Like, in my own head, I'm fighting with myself. And day after day, I've got this sorrow in my heart hanging on me and crushing me. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Um, who this enemy is, is unclear. Um, it's assumed that David probably wrote this psalm, and so this could actually be an enemy. This could be death, right? Like a lot of scholars look at this and they say, the enemy talked about here is his coming demise and the fact that he's at the end of his days. And it could be that. It could be a lot of things. And I think it's one of those instances where it is a good thing that we just don't know because what makes some of these psalms powerful is that they reflect our experience. If David had said, how long will my son continue trying to murder me? We would know, oh, he's talking about Absalom, right? And this is a result of this and this and this. And like, then we can take it away from ourselves. But as it is, this text is a mirror. Does anybody not feel this way sometimes? And here he is, he's asking, where are you, God? And the scripture, there's very little shortage of this. You can jump into the book of Job, right? And Job is about 30 chapters of Job arguing with the people around him saying, where is God? I wish he'd come here so I could argue with him to his face. I wish he would get here so I can explain why he's wrong and I'm right. I wish he would understand why my life should be easier or why this shouldn't be happening. And in reality, Job kind of got the short end of the stick, right? Like Job didn't do anything wrong. Job wasn't sinful. And in fact, even questioning, even over and over again saying, God isn't being fair to me. God comes back and says, hey, you didn't do anything wrong, Job. Your friends, on the other hand, the guys who said you're getting punished because you sinned, you're getting punished because you deserve it, your family died and your house burnt down and you're sick and dying yourself and all of a sudden, it's all because you deserve it, Job. Just repent and it'll be okay. And in the end, God says, these guys are wrong. This isn't what happened. It's just not. Um, asking questions of God is not sinful. Talking to God and expressing your frustration and crying out to him and saying, where are you? What do I do with this? Fix this. Save me. The whole nine yards. It is actually not sinful. And you know, I can nail this down really solidly. In addition to God saying that about Job, one of the hardest questions you will read in scriptures, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This Christ hanging on the cross, like like inching up on death, suffering for other people's sins, not his own. And he cries out, God, where are you? Why is it this way? And he knew that it had to be this way. He said it over and over again. I have to go to the cross. I have to suffer. I have to die. This has to happen. And in the end, he backs up and says, 
where are you, God? Because it is natural in a state of pain to say, God, where are you? Now, I spent a big chunk of my week thinking about these four questions, or five, depending on your translation, and whether or not, like, what's the line? And I want to clarify this a little bit. I think what's happening here is ideal, like, like, not ideal. Let me start over. (laughs) What's happening here is the psalmist is talking to God, right? If I talk to my wife about my frustrations with her, which are non-existent because she's perfect, um, but if I talk to my wife about my frustrations with her, that's one thing. If I talk to the neighbor about my frustrations with her, that's another. Hear what I'm saying? It is one thing to say, God, where are you? It is another thing to say, God is unfair, everyone, and I can tell you why he is horrible. Right? Um, it's a little like the sibling thing, only I'm allowed to say nasty things about my brother. <laughs> Anybody else says anything, it's go time, right? Um, and, and that's, I don't mean to toss that out as a hard and fast rule. What I'm throwing this out as is, I think what God designed us to do is have a relationship with him. And when we struggle, that relationship is a part of the equation. And we need to struggle with him. Not ignore him and chase after our own thing. Um, I think there's a dynamic there. And at the end of the day, complaining about my wife to other people, which I never do. Um, <laughs> I don't. Um, it's a betrayal of my relationship with her, right? And that's where it becomes a problem. Our relationship with God, like at the core of it, is the thing that matters. So let's go on. Um, did that jump? Yeah, it did. Um, look on me and answer. Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcame him, overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. And so what we're seeing here is the psalmist goes from asking questions to becoming desperate, right? And he says, hey, God, answer me, right? Answer, explain yourself, do this, give me an answer. By the way, I have told people this for years when they're in the midst of struggle and they say, why is God letting this happen? And I would say to them, like one of the things I, it's a standard line for me. If you hear it from me, please know it's, it's something I say over and over again. If you knew why, it wouldn't hurt less, right? I, I remember talking to somebody um, years ago when I worked at the home who had experienced a, a significant uh, loss. Um, and, and he said this, well, you know, why would God let my brother die? Why would God let my brother die? Why would God let my brother die? And I said to him, you know, if you knew why he died, would it make it any less awful that he's dead? Probably not. I mean, like, like it might make you matter. I mean, at the end of the day, like not knowing, not knowing requires that we do something difficult. Trust. Trust is hard, isn't it? Trust is hard, especially when it seems like things aren't moving in the direction we want them to go. Trust is hard when things continue to be difficult. Trust is hard when God says, I am with you, and then we don't see him. And then we have to trust more, and we have to dig deeper, and it gets harder. Um, But, now watch this. Um, there's a really good book. It's actually um, it's one of the resources I listed on the Own It section in the, um, in the Grow uh, uh, portion. It's entitled Disappointment with God. And it asks the questions, where is God when it hurts? 
why does evil exist, and all of this other stuff. Like, is God unfair? And it was written by a fellow named Philip Yancey. And Yancey observed, he said, look, if you go through the Old Testament, the more obvious God is, the worse people did. Right? Like the Exodus. God is everywhere. Like, if you doubted, is there a God? You could look out of your tent at night and see the big pillar of fire. Oh, yeah, there he is. (laughs) You know, does God exist? Well, let's go get our manna that shows up like miraculously and we'll discuss it over breakfast. You know, no, God's there. But the Israelites were basically spoiled children, right? Um, the Israelites were walking through the, the store and you pick up a toy car for them and they get mad that it's not a more expensive toy car, Right? Maturity and depth, and this is a hard thing to say, and I don't say it lightly. Maturity and depth oftentimes come to the worst things that we go through. And I bet if you sit there and you think about it a minute, just about everybody sitting in the room is going to be able to say, oh, yeah, I remember going through that. And I remember growing so much through it. And I didn't think it was good at the time, but on the other end, there are times that, like, weight and like like difficulty, like we don't survive it. I mean, there are people who get sick and eventually die. Um, and then we stand before God. Like, like there's this end game result where we have to trust that God is in control of everything. He doesn't give us everything we want, right? Sometimes God doesn't answer because, because it's not, not what's best for us. Sometimes, I actually have a quote from C.S. Lewis uh, from the book The Problem of Pain, which is, a really hard read, um, but really good. He says, pain is not good in and of itself. What is good in any painful experience is for the sufferer um, when he submits to the will of God and for the spectator, the compassion aroused and the acts of mercy to which it leads. Um, What he's saying there is, in us, when we suffer, the good thing that comes out of it is our ability to lean on him and to trust him, and to grow strong, and to know he is there, and he will see us through. On the other end of that, how many of y'all watch your neighbor suffer sometimes? How many of y'all have brought over a casserole? Right? Or a plate of cookies? Or just sat and listened to them, like, unload for a little while? Or, you know, come out and mowed their lawn because they couldn't? Or picked someone up on the side of the road and helped him out, you know, because their car was broken down or whatever. Like when we see suffering and it inspires us to be Christ to those people, that is huge. And when we experience suffering and it forces us to trust that God is in charge and that God is in control and, and that, that he's not going to just abandon us, that's huge. Um, at the end of the day, the Psalms... Like, the thing that we can come up with is despair exists and we will experience it. But on the other end of that, out of despair, great things can happen. Um, We're going to go on here. And this is the hinge of the text, the last two verses. But I trust in your unfailing love. The word unfailing there, I have to look it up because my Hebrew is awful. Um, The word unfailing is hesed. And what that refers to is that's actually used in relation to like that Caesarean vassal covenant. It means 
your end of things will never give and never stumble and never be less. So he says, I trust in your unfailing love, meaning I trust God that you will keep your promise and you will stand by what you have assured me and you will stand in this place and be who you are because you are unchanging and you can't sin and you don't delight in evil and you don't like all of these things are true of you. And because of that, I know you have unfailing love for me and my heart rejoices in your salvation. By the way, this means that you can rejoice and be in despair at the same point. That's joy, which is like ice cream that doesn't melt or a good trip to Dairy Queen. Um, for those of you all who've been here for a few years. Um, I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Um, I'm really happy that Rebecca picked uh, It Is Well With My Soul. And I know we've beaten this, sermon, this song to death, but I'm going to, I'm going to touch on it anyway. Um, written by a man who was sailing to pick up his children after he got news that his wife had died. Um, and he was in a storm, and the storm threatened to kill them. And he's in this ship, and he wrote it as well with my soul. Um, most powerful example of this, and I, I know she would be all right with me saying this because I've heard her tell it, um, was when uh, Yancey was born. And um, she was born not breathing, and... and Carly, uh, I, I, every time I think about her telling this story, it makes me tear up. Like, it's so powerful. Like, she says, well, is my baby alive? Is my baby breathing? And they handed her to her. And she held Yancey and sang, it is well with my soul. And she popped up and started crying. Like, at the end of the day, um, praising God is sometimes all we've got. We look at our earthly circumstances, and it's easy to forget the other end of this, that Christ died for us. If my house burns down and my family abandons me and I lose my job, please don't fire me, um, <laughs> and everything else in the whole world goes wrong, Jesus bled and died to save me, and nothing in the world can take that from me. Nothing. Nothing. If Christianity becomes illegal tomorrow and all of my possessions are taken because I'm a pastor and I end up in a prison camp somewhere, the only thing I can carry with me forever is the gospel. Um, I am a huge fan of um, Corey Ten Boom. And uh, this is a woman whose family hid Jews in, in Holland during World War II. And she was arrested and put in a concentration camp with her sister. And she, if you look at how she found Jesus in such an amazing way in that setting, um, she wrote that she thanked God every morning for the fleas that were constantly harassing her because it kept the prison guards out of the barracks so that they could do Bible study. What is that? That's somebody who's turning and saying, Christ died for me. I can't lose anything else. This is a woman who, when the SS sat her down to interrogate her, this officer approached her and was going to torture her. She preached the gospel to him, and he broke down and cried and, and refused to do anything bad to her. He said, I don't care what happens. Jesus is it. And then years later, when she was preaching in Germany, was and talked about Christ's forgiveness for us and how we're saved by his like blood and God's grace for us, was approached by a prison guard from the same camp where her sister died. And he said, I thank God right now because you said you'd forgive me. <laughs> Could you imagine? And she forgave him. After a long pause, I think is basically, <laughs> she, like she struggled inwardly and said, 
oh my gosh, like I have to forgive you because Christ forgave me. Brothers and sisters, like we may get sick and we may die. Most of us die eventually. Um, but God's unfailing. His has said, his promise that is unbreakable from a place of grace and power like that over us is that Christ died and we are forgiven because of it. That we are washed by the blood of the Lamb. That no matter how far we go or how bad we fail or when I stumble tomorrow or anything else, like I am redeemed in Christ. So what do we do with this? What are our grow? Well, there are three potential responses to this kind of idea, this suffering thing. We can take self-reproach. We can back up and say, I'm suffering because I deserve it and God hates me. Right? Anybody ever said that? Well, I'm just going to raise my hand because I know I'm not, but it's just me. Um, we can take that approach, but honestly, it's scripturally not true. There are times where God punishes us like through our circumstances, right? I know folks who went through horrible stuff that they suffered, and it was a result of their awful decisions and their wicked behavior, and ultimately it led to their redemption. Like, but God doesn't delight in the death of sinners. Like, God delights in the, the, the purchasing of the lost by his son through, through his sacrifice, like through his suffering. Like, that is what God rejoices in. Um, we can deny God's existence. It's a funny thing that we live in one of the most comfortable and, like, well-supported and easiest countries and times in history. Um, and a lot of people will look at other people's sufferings and desire, deny God's existence as a result. Right? And you'll hear people, oh, there are people starving in, you know, in India. And so God doesn't exist. Um, and I read a great essay by a fellow, an Indian fellow who said that in all of his time living in poverty, he never doubted that God existed. Like, and that suffering made him trust God more. Um, but there are folks who will say that God is unfair, and so I don't believe he's there. Evil exists, and so I don't believe he's there. Or we can trust and wait. That's the hard one. Um, but it's the one that makes you better. It's the one that grows you. And ultimately, suffering results in one of two, um, two outcomes. And our response to our suffering and to our hardship will determine what that is. We can suffer... And be crushed by it. Or we can allow Christ to carry the weight of our difficulty. We can trust in him even as we cry out to him. And we can become something better. The best folks I know went through hardship. But we have to make that choice. This is an active decision. I will trust God. I think it was Job that said, um, even though you slay me, still I will trust you. Um, and that is our first. We have to give it to God. Like, we have to trust him. We have to back up and say, it is bad, but he has it. Um, how do we repent in relation to this? Some of us attack ourselves. Anybody here ever do that? I'm awful, and therefore my life is awful. All of this is my fault. Even when, I've heard people say this is my fault, even when, like, they have no control over it. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I, I knew a gal years ago who was abused by her father for the majority of her life. And I, I was talking with her, and she said, I can never be acceptable to God because I deserved all of that. Like, what are you talking about? You're a little kid. That's insane. Like, you, you didn't deserve any of it. You didn't do anything wrong. You're not wicked. Um, when we blame ourselves or take consequence on us, um, like, 
that sinful. Like, it is wrong. Like, that is an error. Like, we cannot self-reproach in that way and be acceptable. Like, that is a problem. And I'm not saying, like, oh, you're wicked, you burn because of... I'm saying, let yourself off the hook. Right? If you're tempted and you don't fall into sin, it's not sin. If you struggle and cry out to God and say, where are you? Why aren't you here? It's not sin. Like, these are things that, that aren't sinful. And, like, if we've taken to this place where we're beating ourselves up and we're carrying the weight of our own sin even after we're forgiven, anybody do that? Like, oh, well, I'll lay my sins at the foot of the cross. Like, let me collect them up now. I'll see you later. <laughs> Come back tomorrow and drop them again, right? that's where we're living we have to put that away we have to turn around and head in a different direction Um, we have to pray and confess where we've fallen short Um, and then we have to renew our mind and our mindset and sometimes this is an everyday thing I know folks who every morning they wake up and they beat themselves up and every morning they have to back up and say this isn't true probably three times a week I lay in bed and I think about somebody in this room not somebody in particular but in general Somebody comes to my mind, and I lay there, and I worry and think, well, well, what could I do differently, or what did I say wrong? And then I have to back up and say, this person belongs to Jesus. They're not mine. He belongs. Like He, he, he will take care of them. I need to trust that. Um, we have to work to renew God's presence in our life. And sometimes this begins with like our own it stuff. We have to read. If you're struggling in this area with with hurt or with doubt or with with recurring pain, like the Psalms are a great place to go. I, I've started read, reading them on a daily basis until I fall off and then I come back to it. Um, but you'll find more about suffering and more about dealing with God in the Psalms than you will anywhere else. Uh, I got a couple other scriptures there. Romans 8, uh, um, John 10. There's some great stuff there. A couple of books. Trustful Surrender to Divine Providence is a great one. Disappointment with God, which I mentioned, and not on the list is... Um, that problem of pain, like read, study, swallow, pray about it, ingest it, make it real. Um, and then finally, how do you apply this? Well, um, learn to talk to God about your complaint, right? Learn to voice it to him. Learn to back up and say, God, I trust you. God, this is where I'm struggling. God, this is where I'm hurting. This is where things are broken. This is where things are wrong. Um, you can turn your attention to others instead of to yourself. I read a great book, um, Therapy Nation, I think is what it was called. And one of the conclusions of it is that regular therapy and self-examination, like sometimes it makes people more depressed. Isn't that crazy? Um, one of the surest ways to deal with a lot of problems that people have, like they discovered statistically, is that when people stop worrying about themselves and they start serving others, they tend to be happier. <laughs> Um, sometimes when we struggle, if we serve and we love and we bring comfort to others, it heals us and we experience God. We can find comfort in our community of faith. I know folks that struggle and are afraid to tell anyone that they're struggling. Um, when I was, uh, when I was quitting drinking and I started going to, to people to help me quit drinking, I, I wouldn't go to AA because I was afraid that people from my church would see me and I didn't want anybody to know. How insane is that? Like, what does the church exist for but to, like, help us overcome sin and to help us know God? But that's what you people are here for. You're here for this in each other, right? 
And that means you have to back up and say, how do I respond to people around me and how do I open myself up? I know folks who will ex- not accept help under any circumstance, but they are the first person in line to offer help. Isn't it true? And a lot of times the reason that people won't open up to each other, won't lean on each other, won't pour themselves out to each other is because they're afraid of what everyone else will think. And nobody else has said anything to me. And sometimes the best thing you can do for someone else is open your heart to them. People tell me I talk a lot when I do counseling and I open up and share a lot about myself. And sometimes I've discovered that if you're willing to tell people this is where my life is screwed up, they'll tell you the same thing. It's true, isn't it? Find people who are in the faith with you and open up to them. Pour yourself out to them. Like, that's how we make community. When we close off, we build walls, and we separate. Um, And we have to maintain it. Like, this is a part of it. Part of how we're designed to encounter God is in the church and in that community with each other. I'm a little long today, but I'm not sorry because this is an important topic. Um, I'm going to close in prayer, and I'm going to let you all go. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, be with us today. I pray that you would help us to turn to you when we suffer and when we struggle and when we um, experience pain. I pray, Lord God, that you would um, just help us to cry out to you and to trust in the redemption that we have in Jesus, that new life, and trust that you will keep your end of the promise over and over and over again. In Christ, excuse me, in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Um, the grow handouts, I've been trying to start doing that. A lot of them, I think, are sitting on the back.